Well, this morning we're in our sixth part on the call of God, and we're going to look at a man by the name of David. How many of you know who David was? We've all heard of the, the stories, if you will, of David and Goliath. We're going to take a little bit of a, a, a different snapshot at that today, uh, but probably will reflect upon some of those stories we've heard over the years as we've followed the Lord. And even if you don't have a relationship with God today, and today can be your day, uh, to come into a loving relationship with God by simply acknowledging that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. But for those that don't know the Lord, most people do know the stories of David. You realize that? You know that many people know the stories of David probably better than they know the stories of Jesus Christ, believe it or not. Why? Because we see movies like David and Goliath and and little nursery rhymes and things like that. And those little stories tend to, to take hold of children, if you will. But it's more than just a children's story. This story of David is more than just something to learn as a child. It's something for us to take lessons from as we become adults in our walk with God. Amen. And so our scripture that we've looked at every week and we'll look at for a few or a couple more weeks is out of Hebrews 12.1 because... We look back on all these people as an example to us of how to fulfill the call of God on our life, what that walk may look like, and taking that from their example. And Hebrews 12.1 says that, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, that we have been given a call, we've been given a race ourselves. A mark to hit, if you will, so that the kingdom of God advances in the lives of those that God intends to save. Amen. First Samuel 17, uh, 33 through 37 is our uh, primary scripture today. And it says, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. For you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like, the, like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Now David is an extraordinary example of the call of God and the process of developing that call, if you will. Um, you can go and, and read a little bit more about David's life. As I've said over uh, the past six weeks, there's no way we can do justice to the life of these people in one message, especially if I'm going to get you out of here for lunchtime. <laughs> we could take a little bit longer today, begin the fast today. Who wants to start today? It's like, oh, it's tomorrow. I'm starting tomorrow, right? Yeah. But look, here's David. He starts out. Uh, in, in the uh, household of Jesse, he's the son of Jesse. The way they identified people back in that day is, is they would say, David, the son of Jesse. They identified them as, as the children of their father. So wherever they could connect that back to that father, like here's David, the son of Jesse. 
Even in Peter's time, uh, Peter, right, he says, uh, Peter, son of Jonah, Bar-Jonah, which is son of Jonah. They would identify it with a connection back to their genealogy. Who is their, who is their father? Now understand that when we're looking at David and the association, that many times that what, what they would do is it's kind of like you take the names that they had and the way that that was associated is that they come down through that line and therefore they do what their father does. We even know in Jesus' time, he goes in and calls his disciples and many of them were, were with their fathers in their father's profession. Many of them were known to be fishermen, right? Right? The son of Jonah, he, he was a fisherman and therefore Peter was a fisherman and so they followed after their father's ways their call if you will was aligned with their father's call that's the beauty of being the children of our heavenly father we have a divine heavenly call on our lives that when we are born again we are born into the family of God he is the only begotten Jesus is the only begotten son of God but we all are sons and daughters of the most high God or if you will the one when we are filled with God's spirit, we cry out, Abba, or Daddy, our Heavenly Father. All of a sudden, we are about our Father's business. We have a call on our lives. And if you will, whatever job we work, that job that we work is really our bivocation. While the call of God on our life is the vocation that each and every one of us are born again into for our lives. That actually what we do to supply ourselves from, if you will, what the Bible refers to as unrighteous mammon. The things, the supplies of this earth to feed our carnality. That, that we would have food. Even if it's the Daniel fast, it's food. Come on somebody. You see, that, that those things serve us for this life. The eternal things of God, our true vocation serves us for all eternity. That what we are doing now with the rest of our carnal life serves our divine destiny as the vocation of God, that we are the called of the Lord to represent the kingdom of God that others might come in to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? If you're going to clap, clap. It ain't to me. It's to the written word of God. Amen? If you will, life is a series, a series of teachable moments, training opportunities, and transformational experiences that all of those things weigh in and they they teach us they train us they guide us or if you will guide us away from what God might be called do you know that you can have a negative experience and it'll turn you away from God if you don't see it right that all those things that take place let me say that that's carnal response that sometimes we get our eyes on the physical so much that we don't see that God is working out a far greater weight of eternal glory in our lives with those things that we might be suffering right now is what the scripture teaches us and David is no short example of those kind of things while we draw upon this monumental moment of entering his calling he was anointed by Samuel this moment of slaying Goliath this moment of of rising up and taking on that giant was the moment of thrusting David into his, you know, process of coming into being the king of Israel. He's speaking to the king of Israel, who, by the way, God has taken his hand off of him. He's not going out to kill a Philistine, is he? He's sitting in his tent. 
towering and offers that the man who kills Goliath, that he'll be blessed, he'll get to marry one of Saul's daughter. You've got to go back and read more of this story. I'm paraphrasing a lot just to give us real context today on this. But you get to marry one of the king's daughters. And by the way, your whole household, your daddy, so here, here's, here, whoever that is, it goes all the way back to his daddy. It's not just his taxes that are going to be wiped away. In other words, he'll never be taxed again for his whole life. Who would like that kind of deal? See how y'all respond to that? <laughs> Here he is, not just him, but the man who kills Goliath gets to marry one of my daughters. So basically, you can move, you can be a peasant and you move to royalty. And not only that, but your daddy doesn't ever have to pay taxes again. None of his household will ever have to pay taxes again. I mean, Saul's laying at a deal out there, isn't he? Right? Do you know that Saul, Samuel, when he picked Saul to be king, do you know Saul stood head and shoulders above every other man in Israel? Out of everybody else in the army of God, the king was the closest one to stature and height with the giant that was out there. The closest one. That's why Samuel picked him. And what you have with David, if you go back and read that story this week, you're going to find out David is this little guy, and he says where he was at. He was out tending his father's sheep. He's just hanging out with the sheep, watching over the sheep. David was not the one. If you, if you were to have an election... And it was going to be like, okay, we're going to have David or his brothers. You go back and read that story. Because it actually says that all his brothers, you know, were, you know, tall and stat. They had the same kind of stature. They looked good. Samuel really liked the oldest one. Because he really had that stature, kind of like Saul did. King Saul. But in that, what happens is, is God's like, no, I've rejected him. No, I've rejected him. No, it goes through six of them. Six of them. And basically, there's none left. God's told Samuel to go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse. He goes there to anoint one of the sons. And at this time, by the way, in history, uh, Saul and Samuel, pro the prophet Samuel and King Saul, were at odds with one another. Because Samuel has confronted Saul for his rebellion towards God. And as a result of that, if Saul, it, Saul's king, and if Samuel comes walking into the city... All the watchmen on the wall are like, Samuel, why are you coming here? Because he was at odds with Saul. You get a prophet walking into town and he starts saying, thus saith the Lord. It's like, get him out of here before he finishes that sentence. Because it could mean the king's life. You understand? Saul was concerned. See, the spirit of the Lord left Saul and a tormenting spirit came to Saul in this time. And so because of that, what happened was, is Samuel, when he's coming to town, everybody's on edge about that. Because Saul and Samuel are at odds. And God's like, or Samuel's like, God, look, if I go, you're telling me to go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse. And if I go into that town, Saul will kill me. Go read the story. Saul, will kill me. God's like, well, just tell him you're going to sacrifice. What? Did God just tell Samuel to lie? No, he didn't tell him to lie. He just gave him a way to get by. You understand? He's like, tell him you're going to sacrifice. So he comes, he's leading, he's leading one of his, uh, uh, a heifer. He's walking into town. They're like, hey, Samuel, what are you doing here? He says, uh, going to sacrifice. 
going over to hang out with some of these guys. We're going to sacrifice and offer, you know, a sacrifice to the Lord and have a feast and, and honor the Lord. Oh, okay, go ahead. He strolls right on in and goes to Jesse's house. They have themselves a sacrifice. They have themselves a feast. He says to Jesse, hey, I'm, God sent me here to anoint one of your sons to be king. Let me bring my first son. Man, you're going to like him. He comes walking in front of Samuel, and Samuel's like, the Lord says to Samuel, nope, I've rejected him. <laughs> Jesse's like, really? I would have, man, I would have thought it'd be, I got, let me get his one for you. Check him out. Sup, Samuel? The Lord says, I've rejected him. Six times this happens. No more sons. Somebody goes, Jesse, you got any more sons out there? He goes, yeah, David. But, I mean, he's out tending the sheep, but I can't imagine it would be David. Samuel sits down and says, we'll wait until you bring him to me. David comes walking in and a horn of oil. By the way, a horn of oil, he anointed him. For his calling. The 22nd when we have that anointing service. We're not going to pour a horn of oil over you. We will anoint you though. And we will pray for you. Dr. Ferris Cox will be here for that meeting. Uh, Corey the elders. We're all going to pray for every member. That would want to be anointed and prayed for. Concerning their call of God. That It's not something that man bestows upon you see. It's something God bestows upon you. It's not about the outward appearance of who you are. It's about what God sees on the inside of you that seals your calling. You understand? I don't think it could be a, any better time for us to go through the Daniel fast up to this moment that God would begin to do some amazing things in your life and through your life for the purpose of his kingdom, for your vocation. Even though you have a bivocation, your vocation is meant to operate everywhere your bivocation may take you. Amen. Now in this, never underestimate, never underestimate what God is doing in your life through the little things to make you ready for the big things. Never underestimate what God is doing in your life through the little things to make you ready for the big things. See, David was being faithful to tend his father's flock. He's just out in the field watching over the sheep, right? It's not a, not a real important job. Sheep just kind of, you know... Bah, you know, walk around, eat some grass, you lead them into there. No, it's a very important job to watch over them. But it's not high activity. Once in a while it can be, like a bear and a lion time comes around. It can get really intense, you know what I'm saying? But for the most part, days go by with no action. <laughs> Just sitting there watching them graze all day long. Huh? See, I, I got to grow up on a farm, so I got, I got to experience some of this. It's boring. And no other word for it. When you're tending a flock, it's just like watching them. Wow, two minutes went by. That felt like an hour. And that's how it goes. So you learn how to occupy yourself doing some things, amen? Listen, uh, to reflect on the aspect of being faithful and not underestimating what God is doing in your life through the little things to make you ready for the big things. Luke 16.10 through 12 says this he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust 
also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you or to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, simply put, when it says unrighteous mammon, let me say this to you. If, you're, if you can't be faithful in the things that, that, are, that are carnal, how can you be entrusted with the things that are eternal? Come on now. That's all God's saying in that. If you can't be faithful in the things that are around you with the, the simple responsibilities that you actually have some control over, how can I entrust you with things that are eternal where you've got to tap into the spiritual realm? You've got to have the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which requires communion with him. It takes, it takes a submission to the word of God and an obedience to the word of God so that the word of God does exactly what it says it will do. That it, it won't return to him void, but it will accomplish in your life exactly what he sent it to accomplish. But it takes you putting your trust and faith in it and doing what it says even when it doesn't look like that's the way to go. Even when it feels uncomfortable that you actually follow what God says in that moment. And that's where spiritual things, that's where you're entrusted with the spiritual things because what you do is submit the natural things to the spiritual things. That's what he's saying here. That you're faithful, if you're faithful in these things, then I know I can trust you with these things. See, when Abraham, we learned, walked up on Mount Moriah and he offers Isaac up to the Lord. He gives that physical promise. Right? Come on now. It was a spiritual word that manifested in a physical promise that he came back and gave to the Lord knowing that God would raise that promise up again. And in doing such, what does the Lord do? He is Jehovah Jireh. He provides spiritually exactly what he needs so that the promise doesn't go away. So that the promise isn't given up. See, oftentimes it's interesting. God just wants to test us and see if he has all of us. And if he finds out he's got all of us, we got all of him. Come on now. You all need to get excited. This is really good. Number one, opportunity equals process. Opportunity equals process. Be faithful on the road to opportunities so you are prepared for them. Be faithful on the road to opportunities so you are prepared for them. Opportunity equals process. What is that? Uh, here's kind of how that works. Let's just say this is a road, right? I'll do it up here. This is a road. And on my road, let's say I'm driving down the road or the highway, if you will. And I'm going to a certain destination. And I need to be paying attention for the opportunity to hit my exit. Anybody ever pass an exit? And there's nothing but barriers for miles? Come on now. You know you're going to a destination. It's like, here's where I'm going. And you're gone, and you're gone, and, 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 and you get a phone call. Is that a brother? You know, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, 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 I understand, I understand. Oh, that was my exit. Do I stop here and back up, break the law? I keep going for miles. Yes, who said yes? Yeah, okay. Bunch of rebellious people. Y'all know what I'm talking about here? See, you're, the process, in other words, you're, you're engaged in the process with God. You're working out your salvation with fear and trembling unto him. He's the one you're accountable to, nobody else. 
And if you work that out, what happens is, is you are ready when an opportunity presents itself to, to take your exit. Or to enter into that opportunity knowing that you recognize it being God. Because you've been engaged with him. So when it comes, you know what it looks like. Come on now. Oftentimes, opportunities will present themselves, but we don't know. Like, is that an opportunity? Is that a distraction? Is that? And then we start to seek the Lord. Right? Then we start to seek the Lord. Anybody ever heard the, the statement, when, I, when the opportunity presents itself, it's too late to prepare. Listen to this. Hebrews 3, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. As Moses also was faithful to his house. He was faithful to the house of Israel for what God's purpose was in his life. We learned that about Moses. Excuse me, he carried that calling out. He lived that calling out. Then in the midst of that, he was faithful to what God had called him to do. Not perfect. God's, God already knows. Somebody in here... Tell me, raise your hand if you, I'm perfect, I've, I've attained perfection. I just saw a wife elbow her husband. None of us have attained perfection, but faithfulness and perfection are two different things. See, faithfulness will also acknowledge that God, I can't do this without you because I'm not perfect. I can't walk this out, I can't live this out. I can't show forth what you've called me to do unless you give me the grace to do it. So it's not perfection that causes us to fulfill God's calling. It's faithfulness that causes us to fulfill God's call. The past six weeks, we've learned that of God's servants, many of them, they endured some hardships, but also experienced God's power and his grace to accomplish his call in their life. That's what God calls us to. He calls us to just be faithful, to allow him to work in our lives, to invite him to work his purpose out in and through us. And it takes a humble heart to do that. Can you say amen? So opportunity equals process. So, so, so if you will, that opportunity, if you will, is down the road. The exit's down the road. We know opportunities may be out there, and we're in this process but how do we know when we get there? It's the preparation. Preparation equals readiness. Preparation equals readiness. And when we know the opportunity may come, we're aware of that we're in a process. We prepare ourselves so that we're ready when it comes. Remember, there are no shortcuts to being ready. Write that down. There are no shortcuts to being ready. People who shoot for the shortcut, I'm telling you now. You know what that happened? Let me, let me give you this one. Um, anybody ever watch some of those videos where, where the police are chasing those guys who are, you know, they're running from the police and they're in the cars? Anybody seen that little Honda, the box car, where they call that thing? It's a little box-shaped Honda element. The element, right? Isn't that what it is? Anybody seen that video where this guy's running from the police? I'm talking, this dude is all over the place. And they got this music. I think it's like the old Benny Hill music. And you see this little thing going circles. And the guy, the guy's in there beating on a steering wheel and he's freaking out because he's already going too far, right? But you watch this thing and it's just like circles, you know? 
and tearing the undercarriage out of the thing. He's looking for another way out. He's looking for another way to go to get away from accountability, to get away from what the requirement is, if you will, right? And he's, tear, he's ripping and tearing his car up. Shortcuts will do nothing but rip your undercarriage. It'll tear you up spiritually. Taking shortcuts will not get you to the destination that you hope to get to. Now, I understand some of you may be avid or phenomenal map readers, and it's like, I can find a shortcut. Not in God you can't. There are no shortcuts. It is through Christ and Christ alone. Emulating him, following him, following a leader as they follow Christ. That's what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Look, follow me in my calling and, and discover your calling, fulfill your calling, but follow me as I follow Christ. The point is where the finger points to, Christ. He's your example. There are no shortcuts. Don't try and take them. Spend your time in the word. Spend your time in fellowship with God in prayer so that you arrive where he wants you to arrive and you recognize it when you get there. Huh? Oftentimes people don't recognize when they're smack dab in the will of God. Anybody ever been in a hard place? And it's like, this can't be God's will. This just can't be God's will in my life to be going through this hardship. Do you know that Jesus learned obedience? Come on now. Jesus learned obedience. And the Bible says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. It's sometimes those suffering, those, again, that, those, those things that we're suffering, those hardships we're going through, are working out a far greater weight of eternal glory in our lives. What, what do they do? Oftentimes, hardships, really, do bring us to our knees. They cause us to call upon the Lord and say, God, would you come and help me? I shared last week about my, uh, the staff sergeant that was in my life. And everything's honky-dory, and he's doing nothing but, you know, uh, porn and everything else and trying to get everybody else into it and all of that. And, and, and when it comes to that moment where I tell him he's going to die and go to hell and burn in hell the rest of his life if he doesn't change, give his life to Christ. Now, again, I don't recommend you go out and start telling your friend, you're going to go to hell and burn. Not smart. See, that was, we had relationship, and that was a moment of encounter and confrontation that was led by the Spirit but gave me great fear and trepidation to say it. It caused me to tremble to say that to him, if you understand. It, that's the whole, I'm on this journey. All these things are happening, and that opportune moment comes. And I say those words because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but plumb scared me to death to say them to another human being because I know I'm not perfect, and it's only by God's grace I've been saved. Come on now. And so in that, what we see is we see that in that uh, preparation that equals readiness is there are no shortcuts. Benjamin Franklin said this, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Abraham Lincoln said, I will, I will prepare and someday my chance will come. I will prepare and someday my chance will come. You're talking about a guy. You know, who loved the Lord, but wasn't perfect, didn't have it all together, and was on this journey. He's in that process. 
I mean, he's demoted down from, what was it, a lieutenant to captain? I think it was a lieutenant. Did anybody remember that? I think it was lieutenant to captain. He was an officer, and he went to basically being a private. <laughs> you know, that looks like progress, right? Come on, anybody's life look like that sometimes? And he's on this road, and he keeps going and keeps going. And I will prepare, and one day my chance will come. My opportunity will come. I'm going to prepare myself so when that opportunity comes, I'm ready for it. Come on now. And he became the president of the United States. We all know that. Hmm. How often do you think David, when he's out there in that boring field, watching over these sheep, grazing, bad, you know, they're kind of walking up around him. He's a shepherd. They know his voice. They're coming up, hanging around with him. How often do you think David was there? In those boring moments, when you read the Psalms, how much of that do you think came out of those boring moments where he made the most of that moment, the most of that process, and prepared himself to be a worshiper of God and begin to play his harp and write songs to God and worship God and draw near to God of heart so that when his moment came, he would be ready. And it wouldn't be in and of himself but it would be a raising up of the Most High God. See, where God rejected those other men, he accepted David because David, the Bible says that God said this about David. He was a man after his own heart. How did he get the heart of God? He got the heart of God in worship. He got the heart of God drawing near to him and connecting with him in worship. Come on now. How often do you think, David, in those boring moments... Sat there with his sling. See a rabbit running across there. He's like, I got that little sucker. Missed it. Missed that one. Missed that one. Missed that one. Missed that. How many misses were there before they were hit? How many attempts with that sling until he got so precise with it? And I'll say this to you. That sling didn't seem like much of a weapon. On the outside to people, it's like, how in the world's that going to do it? When it all comes down to it, and, and Saul tells David to go and, and, and that the Lord be with him, the other thing Saul wanted to do was fit him with his armor. Saul stood head and shoulders above every other man in Israel. <laughs> you getting that? I mean, the Bible is humorous. That's all I got to say. You can see David. They're fitting him. He's like... <laughs> You know, can't even but see out of the, uh, you know, out of the top of that armor. You know what I'm saying? Any of your kids ever dress up in your clothes when they were little? You see them walking, you just like that. It's hilarious. In your shoes, clog, 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 right? That's kind of what it was going on. And, and you can imagine David like, look, I, I can't do this. I, I just want my, my little sling here and my staff. You hear me on this? Just my little sling and my staff for a giant. Nine foot nine. Jeremiah in here? Is he in here right now? Is Jeremiah back there? Where's he at? Is he not here? J12? Y'all been around Jeremiah before? It's hard being a father-in-law and looking up to your son-in-law. <laughs> that's, hey, you understand, that's six foot eight. Nine foot nine. Huge. His sword weighed 15 pounds. His chainmail weighed 125 pounds. Y'all feeling this? 
You might face some giants, but I want to tell you it's in that time, the boring times, the times when you're just like, what's God doing in my life? I'm just kind of going through the motions, and hey, you know what? You're tending his flock. Do you know that he wants you to feed? Do you know that sheep eat grass without being forced to do it? Y'all know that? They eat grass, and they're not like, you don't force them down there. Like, eat the grass, eat the grass. You put them in grass, and what do they do? Oh, man, this is awesome. Put the lamb of God, put the sheep of God's flock in the word and let them eat. See, that's how you know your sheep. Your sheep hears his voice. You get in the word, you're going to hear his voice through the word, and it's attractive to you. It, it, you know what it is? It, it is appetizing to you. It's like, I got to have more. I got to have more. I got to have more. And you feed upon that. And in that, you tend yourself. By tending yourself, you learn how to help others be in the word of God. You learn how to help lead others into those green pastures. The Bible says we all ought to be apt to teach. That time of preparation is so important for us so that we're ready when our moments come. David's preparing with the sling, preparing with the harp. Let me read this passage to you again and you'll see what I'm saying. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. For you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David, say but. But David said to Saul, your servant, here's his submission to God's authority. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. There's his submission to his father. You want to look at some of what takes place. It's when we know how to be under is the place where we can then be above. We're faithful in the little. Therefore, God can entrust us with the greater things. Amen. Used to keep his father's sheep and and, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it. He did what? He stayed like that. Going, that was a lion, man. Yeah, you can have that one. That's a bear. You, you can have that one. No, he went out after it. Amen. And struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it, uh, it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, meaning not a worshiper of God, but a worshiper of false gods, will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, say moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me. David didn't say, I delivered myself. He had his part in it, but he recognized that it was the Lord who delivered him. From the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. The third thing, if you will, victory comes to one who honors the Lord. Victory comes to one who honors the Lord. David knew how to recognize that God made him for a purpose. We need to recognize that God made us, made you for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God calls us to succeed, but we must pass some tests of faithfulness just like David. Can you say amen? 
Let me give you this other statement about your preparation in the midst of this so that you're ready for victory. You understand that it was David's preparation that made him ready for victory because he knew how to honor the Lord. He knew how to honor the Lord. Good luck is residue of preparation. Write that down. Good luck. You ever say good luck to somebody? Good luck is the residue of preparation. Jack Youngblood said that. I like Abraham Lincoln's other quote. When you think about giving honor to the Lord for victory and that importance of preparation so that you're ready when it comes. Do you know the Bible says in Proverbs that, uh, or Ecclesiastes, excuse me, that if the axe is dull, then it takes more effort to cut the wood, correct? To what Abraham Lincoln said, give me six hours to cut down a tree, and I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. See, that's what David was doing, worshiping. That's what David was doing, practicing with the sling. That's what David was doing, killing a bear and a lion. In our time of preparation, we're actually making ourselves ready for the greater things that God's called us to do. But we don't neglect the smaller things that God has called us to do. Amen. We can serve. We can help others. You know, to, to stand up and preach is one thing. To, to um, go out and, and uh, you know, feed the hungry, if you will. That's one thing. But my question would be, is it the masses or is it the one? When we tend the one, when we care about the one person that we work with, when we care about the one person we live with, when we care about the one person, you know, that is a member of the family that's estranged or whatever it may be, and we care about that, in that God is testing us for the greater things of reaching the masses. David gives us some good lessons, though, in taking tests, and I'm going to give these to you fairly quickly. Number one, the servanthood test. The servanthood test. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when the lion or bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, he called King Saul. He declared himself as his servant. And he also had served in his father's flock. Now, to know how that all works out, we know David killed Goliath. And in killing Goliath, Paul sends for David to come and stand before him and be his armor bearer. Now remember, the spirit of God left Saul and a tormenting spirit came to Saul. Do you want to know who drove the tormenting spirit away from Saul? It was David. It was David on his harp. See, that preparation on the harp made him an asset in the kingdom. Uh, It's not good having a king who has a tormenting spirit, right? If you're in his presence and he's in one of those tormenting moments, it's not good for you. You know, it's, if he's having a good day, you all know what bipolar is, right? Huh? We understand that. I mean, that's a disease. We understand that. But it also can be uh, the, the influence of a, of a demonic spirit can cause that kind of thing. Saul was that way. And so, hey, how's it going? Next day, it's like, get out of here. It's like, whoa, what happened to him? You know, tormenting spirit. David comes in, starts playing and worshiping the Lord, and the spirit, that tormenting spirit would leave Saul. But the spirit of the Lord didn't come back into Saul. It was the spirit of the Lord upon David's life that drove those demonic spirits back and caused the presence of God to inhabit the kingdom of God. 
So the servanthood test, we all need to pass that servanthood test in our life. Two, the action test. This is a short part of it, but oh, what a meaningful part of this. Verse 35a, I went out, out after it. David didn't set back when the bear and the lion came. So when David, look, David was not even a soldier. You understand that. He's a shepherd boy taking care of daddy's sheep. And what happens is daddy says one day, look, your three brothers who are warriors, your three brothers are with the army of Israel. Take these cakes of raisins, the dates and and bread and so on. And I want you to go out to them. I want you to take this to them because back in that day, uh, there weren't taxes in, in the sense of, you know, pay these taxes and we'll give them food. The family had to actually send food for, for theirs, and, and actually they sent it for their, his son's commanders as well. So he sent enough food for his sons and for his commander. And so David's the one on, he's, at this point, he's not shepherd boy, he's errand boy. He's a servant. And he strolls up, and he goes, hey, I brought you all this food, da, da, da. And about that time, here comes Goliath out to do his little taunting that he did every so often. He would come out and he would taunt the army of Israel. He'd say, you know, and defy the living God. And basically, you send your greatest champion out and challenge me. And if he defeats me, then we'll submit to you. But if we defeat you, then all of Israel will submit to the Philistines. David hears this, and that's the point where the little shepherd boy that saw a lion and a bear coming in to devour his daddy's flock saw the same thing in that uncircumcised Philistine coming out to devour the heavenly father's flock, which was Israel. And so what came up out of him in that moment was action. The same thing that came out of him when he was tending his father's flock towards the bear and the lion came out of him towards that Philistine. Action. He went out after. And so in this moment when he tells King Saul, we've read it, he goes, and when he goes out to confront uh, Goliath, Goliath says, Who, what, am I a dog that you send this little boy out here with a, a sling and a staff? And starts mocking him. Anyway, we know how the story ends. He mocks him for a little bit, and then the next thing you know, David's swinging that little sling around. <laughs> Let's that rock go. <coughs> Down goes Goliath. And then the little shepherd boy, right, who's just got a sling and a staff, he walks over to the dead giant, and he takes his sword, 15 pounds, chops his head off. Now, needless to say, David took that head with him everywhere he went. It's not a joke. Go read it. He even took it back to the king. When he took the kingdom, he saw his head, or excuse me, Goliath's head was on display. Now, I don't know about you, but when people are hearing that story, a nine-foot-nine giant, and this guy killed him, they're thinking, I don't think I'll mess with him. Right? When you pass the action test and people see your God working on your behalf and performing a miracle, I, I would say this. Your enemy, the devil, I don't think I'll mess with them. There's nothing quite like the divine protection of the Almighty when he drives back your foes and begins to bless you, bless your family, and bless those around you. Come on now. Three, the courage test. We'll read that again, 35 through 36 now. I went out after it. Now watch, the courage test. Struck it and delivered the limb from its mouth. 
How many of you got a roaring lion in front of you, got a lamb in its mouth, and you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to reach in there and get that lamb out of there? Anybody ever watch Wild Kingdom? You ever see those lions? I'm not thinking that's my first thought, like stick your hand in there to get the lamb out of there, right? But it was David's thought, and he did it, amen? Struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it arose against me. So he takes the lamb. This is kind of how it works when you, when you begin to intercede for your loved one. When you begin to, 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 to take, if you will, your loved ones and your friends, and you begin to reach in the mouth of that lion that goes around seeking whom he may devour, Satan, the devil, is trying to kill, steal, and destroy, and you start to, to be a servant of God. And you, you, you exhibit, if you will, that, sorry, I got, uh, you exhibit your action to do that, and you reach out to deliver that person from the enemy, from that roaring lion. He's not just going to set back, he's going to rise up against you, but watch this, watch this. I caught it by its beard. Can you imagine telling this story? I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Right here, the courage test, simply put, is your past victories begin to establish a courage in you to take on those future challenges, to take on the future foes in your life that stand between you and the blessing of God, that stand between you and all that God has promised you. You got to go and you got to read the promises of Scripture. You got to know what God says about your life. You, got, you need to know what Abba, Father, what your daddy has declared over your life. And it's not wrong for you to lay claim to that, but understand that you just might have to fight off a bear, a lion, or even a giant once in a while where God's promise and blessing in your life is concerned. So it's important to understand that the courage test is not something you do on your own. The courage test isn't like, I've got enough courage to do this. The courage test is, look, I'm going to do this, but it comes with the honor test in conjunction. You, they, don't, they don't, one, it doesn't exist by itself, and the other exists by itself, but rather they're connected. See, the courage test, when it hits... It's so important to understand you are not capable in and of yourself in this life to live out all those promises, to live out the grace of God, to live out all of those things without God working in your life. And that requires our honor. The honor test, verse 37, moreover, say moreover again. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Now, remember, when David goes running after the bear, or he goes running after the lion to get the sheep back, to get one of the flock back, that in that, David might have been courageous. But that courage that was developed in his life came in his moments of worship, came in that place of preparation, where the power of God, where the Spirit of God would rest upon David. And in the skill he developed during those boring times, during those down times, the skill he developed with his sling, the skill he developed with his hands. I'm figuring push-ups 
were not something that came on the scene in the U.S. military. For the first time, that was my thought. I thought, you're grabbing a hold of a lion and a bear. You're just sitting around all day. I'm thinking there's some physical stuff going on for David because, you know what? Can't imagine that, that he just like going and snatching, you know, that lion or bear without keeping himself in shape. His activity and his work, very important to care for all of who you are, spirit, mind, body, soul, if you will. Take care of yourself because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And how you care for yourself has great effect. What you put in your body, as we go in this Daniel fast, what you put in your body, it matters. You think of, of, of you know, drugs and alcohol. You know, if you're, if you're diabetic, please, for the love of the Lord, go see your physician if you're planning on doing the Daniel fast. But I'll say this, that when you make yourself, you know, uh, ready in that physical sense by submitting yourself to the Daniel fast or to a diet that is a cleanse to your body, what you're doing is you're making more of the temple of the Holy Spirit available for God's use because you put you put your flesh under and you give rise to spirit. But what you empty out, you've got to fill up. That's why prayer and the reading of scripture are so important during a time of fasting. So that you're filling up with the presence of God. You're filling up with the word of God. Amen. I want to read this passage where we Look at those four tests, the servanthood test, the action test, the courage test, and the honor test. And I close with this scripture. Matthew 8, 5 through 10. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to the other, uh, to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, bring that story into close to say this. When you look back on David, what you see is someone who knows how to submit to authority. It's very simple. He goes and tends daddy's flock. He's the only one of the sons not invited to the feast. <laughs> and God sees it. And in his heart, he's submitting in worship. And he's, he's submitted to his parent. He's submitted to his father. And he's submitting to the Lord in the midst of worship. And God sees his heart. And when he sees his heart, he calls him up. He's faithful in the little. And God brings him up here to be ruler over much. When you, when you see the centurion here, and Jesus responding to the centurion, he's responding to the centurion's faith. The centurion understands something about authority. That if you speak that word, that's all you've got to do, and it's my marching orders. That's what David had in him. Whatever he was told to do, he was obedient to go and do that. 
See, Saul was removed. Saul was rejected by God because when the moment of obedience came, the importance of that of obedience, Saul took in his own hands to go and do something that God said to wait. And at that moment, God rejected him. Listen, not because of what he did, but because of his disobedience to do it. And, and when Samuel confronts him, he says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And let me say during this fast, one of the things I would challenge all of us, including myself, is for us to be about confronting those things through God's word and through prayer where God might say, hey, I want this in your life. I want you to give your life to me here and I want you to give me your, your life there. I don't want to, Lord. We might want to take some time to confront that rebellion because it is the thing that stands between us and Almighty God's blessing upon us. David was obedient at every turn. And because of that, God's blessing rested over him. So I challenge us to take those lessons from David and pass our test in the weeks ahead. Let's move up to that time of anointing and prayer. That it would be a turning point, not necessarily of decision, but a turning point of God's divine grace and God's divine power working in our lives in a way we've never seen it work before. I don't know about you, but I don't see miracles every day. I would like to. I would like to see that person uh, in, in, that I see in the gym and talk to that's in a wheelchair. You know, when I, when I stand there and put my hand on him and I begin to chat with him a little bit, I, I would like to see just through, through, through talking with him in a moment where I know that God speaks to me, just like David knew that God was telling him to go against that uncircumcised Philistine. I would like to see in that moment that there be a prayer and that person get up out of a wheelchair and walk. I don't want to pre be presumptuous with God and, and to not be presumptuous requires faith like the centurion. And what does that take to have that kind of faith? It takes hearing Jesus speak, hearing God speak. It takes a rhema from God. And I want to know his voice. I want to be one of his flock and know his voice so well that whatever I might find, whatever situation I might find myself in, that if I hear God say, go and do this, that I'll be obedient and there'll be no rebellion in me and I'll respond to exactly what God says and see him work on my behalf and on behalf of those that I come into contact with the way that it happened for David that day, the way that it happened for this centurion because they both had faith for what God's word said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray that each of us as we, Father, even reflect on uh, the tests, Lord, that we may be in, the, just that um, the opportunities that are ahead of us, the process that we're in, God, uh, the importance of our preparation so that we're ready when our moments come. And God, ultimately, that we know how to give honor to you in and through everything in our lives. Because we know the answers, Lord God. We know that it's you that's working on our behalf. Where we're yielded in obedience to you. So God, I pray that every single one of us 
would take inventory in the coming weeks ahead. Now, Lord, we'd be working on our story, seeing where you've been there, seeing the moments where we've gotten off the path and the moments where you've brought us back. Hmm. And God, we would take inventory of the areas where we might be rebellious towards you. Lord, even though I've preached with great intensity today, I know that your spirit is gentle. And where our thoughts have been provoked, areas that you might have put your finger on today in our lives, God, that by your grace, you would begin to remove those things from us as we reject them. As we reject them and accept your love and your mercy to walk in the new and living way. To be like the woman caught in the very act of adultery, Lord, that our response to the words of Jesus to go and sin no more today. God, we're motivated. We're motivated to live for you with our lives. So we ask. Say this with me, Jesus, we ask for you to pour your grace out in our lives. Lord, give us a clean slate where we need one. And God, give me the grace to give others a clean slate where they need one in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Bless you. Have a great week.